Hello, Hava. You appear before me like a vision. Uh, yeah. I guess I kind of do. Kind of makes me wonder if ghosts think that live people are ghosts. Because you're kind of appearing, you know... If mirrors aren't real, how can we be real? Um, you know, I just woke up, so... <laughs> All of this is a little too much for me. Hava, how are you? you I'm sleepy. <laughs> I'm also sleepy. Um, moments before this, I was laying in bed talking to Ace, friend of the show, my dog, saying, I don't want to, I don't want to get up, but yeah. I did for you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Hava. How's your new year? Um, it's good so far. Stuff, it's getting so autumnal so quickly. I know. And I also forgot this, you know, this weird little blip of time between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, where it's like, you've been in holiday madness because of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but then there's enough time between Yom Kippur and Sukkot for you to do work again, but then it's going to be a holiday again. It's just like the on and off of it all is a little bit disorienting. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Um, but that's okay. Yeah. I don't know. I'm having a, a cozy day. I wish I had an apple pie from McDonald's. I wish McDonald's still made cherry pies. I think they do in some markets, but just not here. I've never heard of a McDonald's cherry pie before. Uh, you are living a better life because you don't know how delicious they were. Yeah, well, probably. Oh my God. Last night, my boyfriend's grandma, who every so often very sweetly cooks for us, made a full meal, Brussels sprouts, deviled eggs, rice, barbecue chicken wings. Oh, my God. Who I thought was your boyfriend's mom when I met Right. Her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's nothing quite so magical as just like a random home-cooked southern meal being offered to you out of the clear blue sky. There's not much that can beat that. No, it's pretty as good. As far as magic goes. Michael, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. The autumnal turn is here. It makes me... Uh, scared for winter, you know? Uh-huh, yeah. It's like I gotta do all the stuff before winter happens, you know, outdoors. Mm-hmm. You're reminding me of a fantasy novel I read. I don't remember the title or the author, but I remember it standing out that they call this time of the year the hinge of the year. It's like the, t- oh. the point or the year hinges, and that phrase has always felt very true to me. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And we're in the swinging part. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually ordered a bunch of hinges online Ugh, for wow. an art project. Getting ready to join Hinge? I think I used Hinge once, long time ago. What kind of art? I'm trying to duplicate some art of an artist I found online who made um, furniture that folded. And Whoa. when it folded, it still looked like the furniture but just a 2d rendering of it well that sounds cool as hell so it's like a 2d rendered folded furniture that then folds out into a 3d rendered version of itself so that sounds like a really complicated project well i made one out of paper first like a proof of concept like a duplication i was like well how did how did he do this and Mm -hmm. took like two or three iterations and i'm like okay i think i get it so now it's on to the um Onto like the less flimsy version, you know, something to something to do when you can't do anything outside. Mm-hmm. How do you survive the, you know, the boiler room of winter? Well, I play video games. Oh, that's such a good idea. Yeah, maybe I should do that. Yeah, their warm arms are always ready to welcome me. 
And you can like play video games with friends like across the internet. That's something that baffles me still. I'm sorry, yeah. is that really old sounding? Uh-huh, yeah, it is. I love it. I mean, that's great. That's how games should be played, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Gotta make friends. Yeah, it's wonderful. I play video games all the time. On We'll have like a little phone call going, playing games at the same time. It's great. Yeah, I, I like that it duplicates a kind of hanging out structure where you don't have to really have intense conversations with each other. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the video game is just a pretext. It's just something to do while you hang out in the same digital space. Right, right, right. But you don't have to hang out intensely. When you're like 35, like me, and you have a friend over who's like not a super close friend, and it's mm-hmm. like, what are you supposed to do? You can't just like hang. You got to like talk intensely, you know? Right. What's the deal? What's the deal? We're hanging out. Yeah. But like the Have you ever activity. noticed when you have someone over and they want to talk to you? Hey, come on. Come on. This is a real problem. It's not just me. It's just because it's a real problem doesn't mean it can't be funny. It's true. It's true. I just think we should have more activities like this. Yeah. Low-key hanging out activities. Right. Like making a podcast. Uh, Yeah, because if we were making a podcast, it'd be real uncomfortable. Between I know. We'd just be sitting here staring at each other. Yeah, it'd be real awkward. Real awkward. Yeah, I guess we're here to make a podcast. We are. Um, okay, so here's what I want to start with, Michael. Yeah. We're here today to talk about essential dignity. Oh, am I in trouble? Like you <laughs> and all of the ways in which you violated it. Okay, all right. Uh, we're here today to call you out. Uh, no, I just want to start by talking about, you know, we've spent a lot of time on this show talking to philosophers and philosophesses about ethics and stuff and ethical paradigms and i was just doing a little a little research on human dignity in jewish texts the idea of the essential dignity of all beings yeah i guess i wanted to start off with like two questions from you which is just like one like do you think do you think that's a thing and if so what is it and where does it come from i want to like get our ideas out there before we we bring in the text yeah like does dignity is that a thing? Yeah, and like, what is it, and where does our right to it come from, if we have one? Yeah, I mean, I guess we'd have to define what dignity is, but that would be a long discussion, so let's just skip right over that and say, yes, it is a thing that exists. <laughs> so, here's the best definition that I've come up with, because one of the questions that gets me when I think about human dignity and our right to it is like, what falls within dignity like what falls within like violations of our dignity and what's just like something that we want, something that's nice, like what is just nice behavior towards each other, where do all these categories begin and end. And I also particularly wonder about the difference between dignity and honor, because in all the texts we'll be reading, they are going to be the same word, which is kavod. One thing I've been thinking about it as is like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs and like the stuff that takes you from a negative one up to a zero that's Mm. all in the category of dignity yeah and anything that takes you from zero to one is like honor yeah i feel like dignity are the um are things that people should have that are outside of themselves and honor is something that uh, people should also have but they acquire through actions in the context of their lives Mm -hmm. at least that's the way i parse it out like, dignity is something you give to other people, and honor is something that you earn. 
I don't know. Does that that mess with your paradigm? But I also think honor, I guess, yeah, I guess that that's true. One of the ways I think about dignity or that I've been thinking about dignity, and we'll see this as we go through these texts, is dignity has something to do with being treated correctly for who you are. So, for instance, a lot of pieces of Jewish text that we're not going to talk about today, but we could have talked about, talk about how anonymity between giver and receiver preserves the dignity of the receiver and the humility of the giver. And I think one of the things that can hurt people's dignity when they don't have anonymity in receiving gifts is it really makes them vulnerable and dependent in a way that is not consensual. They're sort of being forced to be vulnerable to your giving and to be dependent on you. I feel like there's this dynamic that it's different if we're kids, for instance, we expect kids to be vulnerable and dependent on us. And thinking through that thought process makes me think situations that harm our dignity have something to do with being treated in a way that feels like inappropriate to the point we're at in our lives or inappropriate to like our role or our station like that. That's how it connects to honor. Right. And going from child to adult is just the most commonly shared change in station amongst humans. You know, not all of us are going to go from person to president or whatever, but we're all going to go from child to adult. And so we all acquire this sense of dignity around things that are appropriate for us as adults. There's obviously a lot that's complicated about that because it seems like a huge amount of the shame around the shame that like injures people's dignity in those situations is sort of culturally constructed. And we could have a better culture where people felt more comfortable being vulnerable and therefore had more intact dignity. But I also kind of think that there's something deeper than that, that there is some like more essential human dignity that's just like the reason we shouldn't kill each other, for instance. Right, right, right. Or like throw mud at each other or like put someone in like a bucket of tar, you know, and feather them or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's a there there. Um, Mm -hmm. Was one of your questions like where it comes from? Yeah, once I know there's a there there, which I feel pretty confident about that there is like something about ourselves that seems to be worthy of protection and seems to be pretty transcendent. Mm -hmm. I have to wonder like... Whence, whence forth does it come? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just the manifestation of the divine, baby. That's what. That's what Duh. it is. You know, while you were talking about dignity, I was thinking about talking to telemarketers on the phone and mm-hmm. how you're often not treated with dignity. You know, by large mm-hmm. companies on the phone, and and then I was imagining, well, if you were to go like to a lawyer and be like, well, they didn't treat me with dignity, it'd be like, well, we can't really quantify that. You know, we can't really file a lawsuit. You know, there's nothing you can do. Right. You just have to deal. And I was thinking about how how hard it is to capture things like dignity or honor or the these things that they're almost like our society can only run on the lowest common denominator measurable things like mm-hmm. physical pain that people, which is even hard to measure. But, you know, injury and and monetary loss and property loss. Uh, And how these things like dignity, we know they're there, but yet we can't articulate how to quantify them or or compare them. 
And usually that's the sign of, in my opinion, some divine shit going on. That's some divine shit right there. Okay, so let's bring in some text. So in Pirke Ava 4.1, we get just sort of this classic formulation that, that introduces us to the idea that we're obligated in some way towards dignity. And the text reads, Who is honored? The one who honors his fellow created beings. As it is said, for I honor those that honor me, but those who spurn me shall be dishonored, which is a verse from 1 Samuel 2.30. So the general ethical principle here seems to be you get honored if you honor your fellow beings. And the reason for that is because honoring them is in some sense honoring Hashem. And honor and dignity is the same word here. So it could also mm-hmm, be that exactly. you get dignity by giving dignity. Right. And that also makes me want to bring in this other interesting valence of the word. Uh, I'll just bring a Torah verse from Deuteronomy 5.21. And they said, the Lord our God has shown us his kavod, his glory or honor. And we have heard his voice out of the fire. And we have seen this day that a person can hear God and speak and survive. So this is is not very much of a verse, but I just wanted to bring in this usage where this same word of dignity or honor is being used to describe sort of the resplendence or the, the, you know, the glory of God appearing to the Israelites. It's interesting to me that this kavod, whatever it is, can be emanated by God and can also be given between humans. I wonder also i think we can i think we can give kavod to god and receive it from them as well so it seems almost like this universal even between us and the divine something that is able to be transmitted yeah that's true that's pretty cool that's pretty cool but what gets me or what what trips me up about this is it just feels like if you take like a classically sort of patriarchal vision of god that god is like this all powerful being it feels like we shouldn't be able to give God kavod, whatever it is, because that's something that we give like to our equals, to our fellows. Uh, I'm trying to think of a human example. I was thinking like, imagine like a really famous 1930s actress. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're like an all-powerful diva. Love it. You can give them honor. You can be like, they are the best. But like, they're so full of whatever the splendor that if you were to insult them it would brush right off them you know what i mean interesting so it's like i feel like the same thing is with god god is like a you know your archetypical golden age of hollywood actress Mm -hmm. and she is and yeah there you go you can not give the dignity and it doesn't matter you know Mm -hmm. but you can also give it maybe that kind of matters but it's like then you're in the club Yeah, I guess another way to think of this is just you could say like the whole reason we're put here on Earth is to have the opportunity to treat each other with dignity. Yes, yes, yes. Which is what allows us to give God dignity. It's all a pyramid scheme. Yeah, it is kind of. It is. If you just recruit five friends to treat you with essential human dignity, then you can be at the top of the pyramid. Well, it has the same like problem with as pyramid schemes do, which is like in the pyramid scheme, it fails because there isn't an infinite amount of money in the world. So it can't keep going. But I do think there's an infinite amount of whatever this positive attribute is that you can give to people and to God if you want to. And it could keep growing, uh, at least to encompass all of sentience, all of, you know, whatever, whatever. I know. 
that seems kind of like the mission, the human mission. We're doing really badly at it, but it is, I think, possibly the human mission. Maybe dignity should be the new currency. It's great because it can't be diluted. There can always be more of it and, uh, mm-hmm. and it doesn't decrease in value, even though there's more of it. If we can just put it on the blockchain, it'll be perfect. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's bring in another another little example, a practical example of dignity from Shabbat 81b. Rav Chista said, what is the halacha with carrying stones up on the roof to wipe your butt after you poop if the bathroom's on the roof? It is permitted, even though carrying in this way is prohibited on Shabbat. For he says, great is human dignity as it overrides a prohibition from the Torah. Wow. TLDR, you can carry stones up onto your roof to wipe your butt with rocks on Shabbat. But this is kind of what set me on that path about the whole childhood adulthood thing. I was thinking, you know, we've talked about a lot on this show, the various things that can override Shabbat. And one of the main ones, right, is saving a life. And so when Rav Chista tells us that we can do this carrying on Shabbat, it makes me feel like whatever dignity is being lost by walking around with a poopy butt is of a similar, if not exactly the same, level of gravity. And I had to like ponder like why that would be, because it's not, in most cases, life-threatening. It's mostly just like yucky and annoying, probably unsanitary, but it's not like a emergency in the physical sense. And so, yeah, that just made me think about how when we're kids, we often walk around with poopy butts more than perhaps we would like. But it's just like a v- expected uh, phenomenon for a certain amount of your childhood. Mm-hmm. It's like we're trying to avoid embarrassment. And uh, embarrassment is like a tiny death, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same magnitude, uh, but it, there's definitely something similar. It's like about preserving the best aspects of our humanity, you know, and one of the best aspects of humanity is being alive, for Mm -hmm. sure. One of them is, you know, having dignity, how you present yourself to others for your sake and for their sake. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't know. That is kind of interesting. You're allowed to break a Torah law in order to preserve dignity. Yeah. And it feels like there's sort of a comparison being made between the glory of Shabbat or you might say the honor and the dignity of Shvat and your own honor and dignity. And at some point, there's a halachic break point where your own dignity wins out. I'm curious if you're allowed to break a law for someone else's dignity. Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head. I didn't, I didn't prepare a text on that. Yeah, I'm just, like if you go to someone's house and they're serving mm-hmm. non-kosher food and you're a guest. I think not that one, but... What if someone else is on the roof and they didn't bring any stones up and you have stones? Can you carry stones up to them? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I would say okay. bring the stones. But anyway, continue. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty liberal with my Shabbat Halacha, so I would also say bring the stones. I just want to quickly point out, we are passing over the stone butt wiping <laughs> thing, but we have talked about stone butt. Extensively. Well, yeah, many years ago at this point. It's a thing. God, we've been podcasting for so long. I know. It's it's kind of weird. It's fun. Yeah. It's good, though. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's cool. So just deal with that stone image. We're already <laughs> past it. But right. if, if you're not, you're welcome. Continue, Hava. 
Okay, so I have two more total texts. So we'll start with the, the nice one. This one's a classic, has a couple things we've talked about before on the show. And it's from Mishnah Sanhedrin, chapter four, where we read, It was for this reason that man was first created as one person, Adam, to teach you that anyone who destroys a life is considered by the Torah to have destroyed an entire world. And anyone who saves a life, it's as if he saved the entire world. And also to promote peace among the creation so that no person can say to their friend, my ancestors are greater than yours. And also to express the grandeur of the Holy One. For a person prints many coins from one mold and all the coins are alike. But the king, the king of kings, the holy one, imprints every person from the cloth of the first person, and yet no human is quite like their friend. Therefore, every person must say, for my sake, the world was created. So this sort of ties into two things that we've been talking about in our discussion of dignity. One of them is that it seems like part of the justification in the Torah is that our being created in the image of God is sort of like what imbues us with that essential dignity. It also seems like part of the ingredients here are the uniqueness of us is is part of what imbues us with our our special property of having dignity. I think I'm thinking of situations that can be embarrassing like when you um, for instance, one I've ex- have experienced many times is going to the food stamp office, which is not inherently embarrassing, but going there and being a part of this impersonal system where people are asking you incredibly personal questions about your life so that you can get the money you need to survive. It feels like there's something there about like being treated about as if you're, you know, one coin amongst many coins rather than your own unique special creature molded by God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being treated like appropriately for who you are and being treated as an individual rather than a an object seems to be like a kind of some of the ingredients in the dignity stew that we're we're souping up right now. Yeah, yeah. That seems right. Acknowledgement of humanity is a, mm-hmm. is a big part. Yeah, some something about being a little cog in one of these large institutional machines takes that away. Yeah. And now, okay, for my very last text in this sort of formless exploration of dignity, I wanted to introduce the dark side of dignity. Oh. Um, yeah, but you didn't see that coming. With a, a classic anti-banger from Megillah 23a, where we read that the sages taught in a Tosefta, all people count toward the quorum of seven readers of the Torah, even a minor and even a woman. However, the sages said that a woman should not read the Torah out of respect for the congregation, a.k.a. because of the kavod of the congregation. Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) So there's this other valence in which dignity can be used, and this is sort of in its more culturally conditional form to invoke like uh, things that people feel aren't appropriate. This feels this feels like a callback to our politics of disgust episode. Yeah, sure. There's certain things that the sages think the congregation will find disgusting, like a woman reading the Torah, and so they go against the the plain ruling to save the kavod, which is fundamentally the same mechanism as what's happening in the piece on Shabbat and bringing the stones up but it just sucks instead of being good. Yeah, I mean, it sucks. It does remind me of, this is the first time I've ever said this. 
this is very strange. You usually like gravitate towards certain metaphors. And then I've just realized that over the course of doing this podcast, I've discovered a new metaphor, which is like the Kabbalistic tree of life. (laughs) I'm just thinking about, you know, how everything is filtered through the Cephi road and condenses down and until it eventually can be pointed to and encapsulated in corporeal things in our material world. Mm -hmm. And and perhaps dignity is, is again, it's one of these things that we know exists and is real and is divine and um, we can't quite define it, uh, but it becomes somehow congealed within our corporeal actions and mm-hmm. our cultural contexts as we attempt to sort of honor that 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 honor that honor yeah and, and, yeah. and work with it i think also there's a a dynamic with the that whole metaphor that whole scheme of sefri wrote where they can be sort of like out of balance. There can be too much gvura, right? Too much judgment. They are sort of good qualities, right? They're qualities of the divine, but they are not sort of, you don't want them to be the only thing. They're necessarily parts of a whole. And so maybe this is a situation in which the the attachment to this particular shade of being has like become too intense. The idea of dignity has sort of like proliferated too far in this idea of the sages interesting well do you think there's too much dignity in anything that we currently do oh that's a good question hmm well i'm going to answer a completely different question because it's what i wanted to talk about which is um something that feels related to the conversation of dignity that really bugs me is the way that we talk about transness in america today pretty much every mainstream conversation around transness is oriented in this worldview that like transness is a medical condition that must necessarily be treated via medical transition and that's the reason why we all have to respect transness is because it's like a real categorizable injury essentially that some people have that's like how your average uh joe biden supporter um is like uh living out their idea of transness is like Uh, Some people just have this thing that's weird about them that has to be fixed. And because that's the level of intensity we've had to go to to get people to treat trans people like human beings, we're not allowed to have conversations about someone choosing to be trans. Like that idea is not even, doesn't even feel safe to bring up because of how it might undermine conversations that are about getting us basic dignity and this is like a um, a case in which there's like, I don't know, I guess escalating levels of dignity that are needed because I feel like I need the dignity of getting the medical care that I need. But I also need the dignity of being allowed to be a person who makes choices. <laughs> Sometimes those two things are in conflict because of how the discourse around trans people in mainstream America functions. And I'll just say that one of the things that's been a really wonderful experience in my Jewish journey has been getting to see a lot of brilliant trans people elevate transness to being something holy, which is sort of skipping over the choice question entirely and elevating transness to a good, you know, something that that is sort of like a actively positive to bring into the world. You know, I feel like holiness is sort of like the step above honor, right? We have like dignity, honor, and then glory, maybe. And 
seeing a lot of cool trans Jews articulate transness as like a form of holiness has been a, a remedy to that dynamic of the discourse, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that's, cool. that, that's just like my, uh, my meta thoughts about dignity as a trans person. Anyway, so that's all I brought today. I just wanted to, you know, amble, you know, take a stroll in the garden of thought and talk about what the hell dignity is because it's a, it's a powerful halachic concept and it's a powerful concept in our society. I say all the time, it's an honor or it's been an honor. I say things are honors all the time. So I think about this a lot because of my own weird phrasing. And yeah, thanks to you and to our listeners for coming along on that journey. Oh, thanks, Hava, for bringing this journey to the us. To us. My pledge. Get out there and, and sign up for compiling the next trans codex if you want to hear some of that brilliant trans writing. The first shiur for that collaboration between Shomala and the Trans Halacha Project starts in three weeks, and I'll put a registration link in the description. And without further ado, Shavuotel. Shavuotel. Shavuotel.